country music. I love country music. Country music. Country music. Country. The future of country music's looking good. I love it. Country confidential. An open mind, because that's what's led me here. It was an open mind. Um, it was not saying no to things that I normally would have said no to. Like when my dad died, I, you know, I died with him. Like that that person that was that person before um, that would have said no to all these things that would have been like, no, I don't sing the songs. Someone else sings the songs. If you're not familiar with Stephen Wilson Jr., then listen up. The Southern Indiana native is taking the genre by storm because he's doing country music his way. Leaning in on the blue collar values that his father instilled in him, Stephen is telling real stories for real people. His new double album, Son of Dad, is a collection of stories that cover everything from grief to hope and even mental health. Stephen is proving that he is one of today's most prolific new acts, and he is just getting started. This is Country Confidential, Stephen Wilson Jr. Country Confidential. I'm super excited. Uh, okay. I'm a Midwesterner. You're a Midwesterner. So talk to me about just like growing up in Southern Indiana and kind of what life was like. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Where I grew up is a bit of a clash of uh, cultures there because it, how I like to put it, it's like it is the South and the Midwest colliding at, on a, at a ge- geographic area. It's literally called the crossroads of America. That's what a lot of people refer to that part of um, of the Midwest because you see where the South and the Midwest collide. And so I joke, uh, people have Southern accents there, but they also put noodles in their chili. So like, that's like kind of where how I grew up where it was like, you know, NASCAR and Southern accents, but also Midwestern um, shirt off your back you know, salt of the earth, blue collar, work till you die kind of people, Um, you know, and so there was, you know, I had a really nice mixture of two cultures really growing up in Southern Indiana, and I always specify Southern Indiana, and so do all the other Hoosiers for that matter. When I, when I tell them I'm from Indiana, they're all like, oh, you're from Southern Indiana. So it's not just me that does it. And so there is like a a bit of a distinction there um from the rest of the state it's like a place where you'll find cornfields and rolling hills at the same time like there's actually hills there it's like very much kentucky kind of migrated north and um and then by the time you get to the south of indianapolis it's you're back you're in the flat kind of what people refer to as the midwest but up until that point it's it's pretty hilly and pretty southern and in um, culture and 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 just kind of the the topography and geography of the of the area. I love it. I love it. You're like NASCAR and noodles in your chili. But I love that there's such like a class of cult cultures. I mean, did that affect you growing up at all musically? Oh yeah, big time. So I grew up in John Mellencamp's hometown. So like John Mellencamp was like our hometown hero. And if you listen to his music it's very influenced by the South and it's very influenced by the Midwest. Uh, so, so naturally his music was, I mean, he was basically painting what I was seeing. Um, so like it had a big, yeah, big influence on how I viewed music. You know, a lot of people uh, for, 
for whatever reason, I like to compare me to Springsteen, um, or at least they, they feel like there's a, um, an influence there. And to be perfectly honest, I'd be lying. I, I love Springsteen. I do like his music, but I've never, I don't, I didn't actively listen to it as a kid. I don't turn it off by any means because it's incredible music and songwriting. And But Mellencamp was actually painting pictures that looked like what I was seeing. And what Bruce was painting was like kind of blue collar urban. And what John was painting was blue collar rural. And that, that was me, blue collar rural. And uh, so, and then country music was a huge thing. I, I rode a school bus for an hour and a half to school and an hour and a half home. First kids on, last kids off. Wow. It was a, a county line road route, like a rural route. So it's just like those farm kids, you know, for days. And um, so like the bus driver mandated that nobody could touch the radio station and it had to be country music the whole time. So I literally had a three hour country music immersion class every day five days a week times how many weeks I went to school yeah. and rode that bus. So, um, so that music big time had, you know, just like, uh, far like these farmers that were bus drivers being like, no, y'all are going to listen to country day music and I don't care what you like. I know y'all like this rock and roll, but you're going to listen to country music on my bus and you're going, and that's, that, that mandate was actually really influential, even though I hated it at the time. Um, and so like one random morning on the way to school, um, or it might've been, yeah, it was on the way. Um, I heard this song called don't take the girl. It'd been out for time and it wasn't, it, it wasn't a song that I'd never heard before, but it, I had never listened to it before. If that makes sense. Um, and one day I was sitting on the bus, just looking out the window, awkwardly, quietly, like I always do, and always did. And that song came on, and three and a half minutes later, I was a disaster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so that, I was like, what the hell just happened to me? I've, you know, I've watched movies for 90 minutes. I've, you know, I've been to all kinds of things that have never done this to me especially in the amount of time that it took to do it. You know, it felt like I went on a journey. I was like the star of this movie in my own head. I love that. And like, I was able to copy and paste my story. I had a bit of a, you know, my mom wasn't, you know, was in these really terrible relationships. My mom and dad split when I was a kid and she was living in Tennessee at the time with these abusive men that were you know I was really afraid of her safety constantly like as a kid I was really um fearful of that and so when that song came on for some reason even though the song had nothing to do with my personal situation I was still able to copy and paste the characters basically and still have this obviously very emotional response to it and it was actually a very healing kind of thing this is like oh like this is like therapy I felt like oh like this is like changing me <laughs> you know uh, so that was that was really um kind of a form of wizardry that I'd never experienced so that was like a song I got like what I, my dad would call song bit <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's awesome I love that but I know your dad you know when I was doing some digging about you 
boxing also, you know, and it was kind of this cornerstone for your life and specifically for your dad's life. So talk to me about maybe some big lessons that you've had uh, growing up boxing that you now can directly correlate to you being, you know, a, a musician. Yeah, um, well, my first stage that I ever performed on was not a stage at all. It was a boxing ring. And that so that that was like the beginning of performance for me. Um, I was a really shy, quiet kid. I never talked. Like, to be honest, like no one would have ever thought that I would be a singer, and especially me. Like, I would have been the last person to be convinced um, that I would be a front man and an artist and a performer like by myself my name and everything that really wasn't I never like wanted to be a star as a kid that wasn't like like no one would have thought that I just I never talked so so when uh when I started boxing like you know with the situation that was going on with my mama and and everything the boxing was really good it was really it was a way for me to deal with a lot of those emotions that I was dealing with at the time. But what it really did, like, cause my dad didn't really know what to do with me. Um, I was a bit of a weirdo. Um, cause I was kind of into science. I was a, a science nerd and I was kind of good at school. My dad worked on cars and beat the shit out of people. Yeah. And that was like what he was good at. So I was like this weird kid, you know, I had his name and his eyes and that's about it. And like, I was just so much different from him. So he didn't really know, I don't think no, knew what to do with me. Um, but he did know, like, if I throw this kid in a boxing ring, it's going to do, it's going to help him out for, for the rest of his life. And I don't know if he really was thinking that at the time, but, but as a kid, I just wanted to be like my dad. So it really wasn't me like, Oh, I you know, I just, I saw him fighting and I saw all these other fighters fighting. I grew up in these boxing gyms and these boxing rings and the smell of cigar smoke and rubbing alcohol and like that kind of, you know, boxing gym, boxing club smell is like, was this kind of part of my childhood? Like we would go to the big cities and go and go to fights because we lived out in the country and my dad was a kind of a country boy, hillbilly. He had a, a wild story because he was like on Muhammad Ali's boxing team and he was being great, greatness. And he was like this hillbilly from Southern Indiana that was knocking all these dudes out and really like climbing the boxing ladder, so to speak, and had a lot of promise to be like a really big fighter. And then, um, you know, he had, they had three kids with my mama too young and then they split up. So he ended up, kind of having to raise us and kind of hang up his professional dreams of being a boxer and he really just focused on the amateur boxing scene at that point because it's still a really um valiant and respectable scene in the box you don't have to be a pro boxer to be considered a boxer like in the amateur boxing scene even though you're not making money it's very much i mean that's olympic boxing that's it's a very prestigious level of boxing it's it's not to be like, it's not like church league softball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really church league. It's like very serious. So it, he was still very much a serious boxer at that point, even though he wasn't making money doing it. So, so I uh, grew up in an amateur boxing scene, which kind of sounds like 
you're shooting boxing down, but the amateurs is actually very specifically prestigious. And there's a very, there's a different style to it. Uh, there are three, three minute rounds. So they're really explosive battles, but yeah. not the, not these 12, three minute rounds where boxers tend to pace themselves all the way to the end. They're, they're just these like knockdown drag out, just <laughs> war that happen. You only got really nine minutes to prove yourself yeah. in front of judges. So, and so that that tended to make for some really eventful fights and these big battles. And so, you know, my I fought my first fight at probably seven years old. And then me and, me and my brother were Irish twins. Kind of, we were a year and four months apart, so we were perfect sparring partners. Like our first fight ever was each other. Like we fought, we didn't have nobody to fight us. Like because we would open up for the adult fights as the kids. And uh, a lot of times you wouldn't have a kid the same weight and same age to fight you that wanted to fight, you know, because they're kids. Um, so a lot of times me and my brother would do like an exhibition fight before the fights and we'd just beat the dog piss out of each other because we were so used to doing it. We've sparred yeah. a lot. And honestly, those were probably better fights than me fighting just the random kids because we just knew how to fight each other really well as far as like a boxing exhibition goes. Um, so that like our first fight was actually each other and our last fight was each other. Uh, we just fought for the father son video. We boxed each other. We did four rounds of sparring and again, beat the piss out of each other. Just good old days. So, That's so fun. So when did music kind of start to weasel its way into your life as maybe a hobby or maybe an outlet maybe a little bit of a calmer hobby. When did that kind of start? Well, that started in my mid late teens around 15, 16. I got really into music because basically the don't take the girl moment happened. And I just started really, and I got into like, I had this terrible first kiss at a roller skating rink. And like, uh, you know, I just, I started listening to grunge music and I started listening to heavy music and I started listening to country music. I just got into all like, I started to realize that music meant a lot more to me than I think the average Joe. Like, I, for whatever reason, I, I seem to have a, an understanding of it, and I didn't understand why. It just... And then my dad noticed my... Uh, he just saw me watching these guitar players all the time, and he went and bought me, like, this $60 pawn shop guitar. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple lessons to learn how to read tablature basically. And then I, 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 they weren't really taking me anywhere. So in like six weeks, I was flying on that thing. And I just kind of taught myself how to play guitar. And, and then I, you know, my dad was like, Whoa, like you learned that really fast. What's going on here. It's like, you got like a, a thing for this. And, and so like, that was kind of, you know, he kind of, I guess, started to speak that into my life. Because my brother, on a side note, as as boxers, like, he was such a natural boxer. Like, he had so much natural talent that I was not born with. Like, what took him five minutes to learn took me five hours to learn. You know, like, if it was just, like, something, a fundamental, like, attribute, whatever it was. He was, like, just born with this gift in boxing that I was not. So I had to learn how to work to get as good as him, which it, which was great because it taught me discipline. It taught me that, oh, you can actually achieve goals if you work at them. You don't have to be like born with endowments in order to achieve a goal. But I realized quickly at that age, like, oh, this is 
this is my endowment. This is my gift. Because Nick, my brother, he couldn't play a G chord. It would take him a month to figure out how to play one chord. And it took me like all of 30 seconds. So I was like, there's obviously I have some kind of affinity for this that my dad and none of, no one else in my family has and no one none of my friends have so i just you know i was just like it just made itself real apparent like you seem to understand this you don't really know why um but it just made a lot of sense to me so i just started playing guitar i started off as a guitar player really i never dreamed of being a singer and uh and I wanted to write songs and, and like deep in my heart, subconsciously, that's kind of where my heart was at, was writing songs. But I wanted to, yeah, I got really like enamored by guitar players. And uh, so guitar players, like, um, I guess you would say like uh, Rivers Cuomo, um, David Gilmore, Jimmy Page. And I got into more progressive players like, uh, Paco de Lucia and Andres Segovia and Al Dimiola, which were all classical players. So I, I got in on Soundgarden. I got to say, like, a, a buddy of mine gave me this Soundgarden tablature book that was, like, yeah. this thick. And, uh, you know, it had been out for a while. Like, you know, I was kind of late to the grunge show. Like, everybody was kind of on that wagon or off that wagon by the time I jumped on it. But whatever. Um I was still like super intrigued by it. So I really learned how to play guitar by sound Soundgarden. I, I joke taught me how to play guitar because they use all those open tunings. They use all those weird tunings. And that, that's what I do. I use all these weird yeah. tunings and, uh, and they kind of crafted their sound based on how they played their guitars. And so I, I learned real quickly, like you can kind of change your guitar sound and therefore kind of create a really unique sound because their sound was incredibly identifiable and unique like as soon as it came on you were like that sound garden i know because of how the guitars are tuned so that that was um uh, about the time when i got into music i learned that whole record top to bottom like i learned all the tunings i learned all the riffs all the solos and i was like a a shredder you know i, I love <laughs> i was really eager and i was really like overplaying a lot and um you know and then i got into jazz and i that's in by that time i started to go to college and you know i was just really into music i i faked my way into the college jazz band audition because i didn't know how to read music i uh i brought music in and turned i, I learned like andre segovia's leyenda by ear and then brought in the music and pretended to turn the pages so they would think that I was reading the music. I couldn't read even solfege. I didn't even know like all cows eat grass. I didn't even know like n nothing about music. And But I just wanted, I knew if, if they gave me like some chord charts and if I could sit with the songs just for a minute, I could pick them out by ear. And that's basically what I did. I faked. So I played in the university jazz bands and symphonic bands, like all on a ruse. I basically just, um yeah i love that so per did you purposefully you know what i mean put yourself in nashville for school is is kind of a dual hope that maybe if this whole like science data researching you know what i mean stuff doesn't work out that maybe music will work out did that even occur to you um yeah yeah absolutely um i mean that when i would go to see my my mama she lived in this in this part of uh, Middle Tennessee called Smyrna. 
Oh, okay, yeah. Murfreesboro area. So uh, I would always drive through Nashville to get to Smyrna. And I would always look at the city and be like, oh, man, this, I, I just wanted to stop there. I didn't want to keep going to uh, to Smyrna. Um, nothing against Smyrna. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just, every time we would drive by there, you know, per the don't take the girl moment, you know, I would just drive by the city. And I was like, I'm almost certain these songs are written here. Like, I just, this something told me, like, like, and I was right. I don't, I didn't know how I was right, you know, but I just knew that the songs were coming out of this town, or at least a lot of the songs were. And, and there was like, you know, like, that's where all the wizardry was happening. I just had to like, no pun intended, like follow the yellow brick road and go see the wizard behind the curtain. And eventually I did because, so I moved to Nashville literally as a by proxy strategy to get you know basically be close to the songs i wasn't really trying to be close to the music business because i didn't really know anything about the business i just wanted to be close to the songs like because i knew the songs were kind of in this water and uh so if i drank the same water i maybe i would write the same songs i don't know it was like a it was a really dumb strategy but it seemed like it, it was better <laughs> yeah it worked actually so in like college, I started this indie rock band my senior year and I was graduating with a microbiology and chemistry degrees. Uh, I didn't do a music degree. Um, I ended up getting kicked out of my music theory class for arguing with my professor and, um, about like what was right, like what was wrong, what was right. She was like super into Bach and all that stuff. And I was like, I was challenging like every mode like every mold of music in her head and it just we just creatively didn't didn't I go guess, together. <laughs> well I was like I don't think music is for me as a academic thing and so and I was just you know I was going to minor in it anyway but um but I started this indie rock band right as I was graduating and um so that's kind of where I, I really the, the music like my music career essentially started because um, I was writing songs in college, but no one ever saw them or heard them. They were like my own little personal songs. Like when I would see my, like as, as a kid, I would see my, my mama all the time, not all the time, but often um, writing poems on like junk mail. Like she'd write poems on junk mail and bills and stuff, probably the ones that she couldn't pay. And <laughs> like, and then she would like write the poems and she'd throw them away. And, uh, and that's what I did in college. I just kind of mimicked what my mom was doing, but I just didn't throw them away. Um, that was the only difference. I, I wrote them on paper instead of envelopes. So like, that's kind of, I just f followed what she was doing and, uh, started just writing poems like in my books and, you know, there were songs in my head. They had like a meter and they had like a, um, a pentameter um, of sorts and so that was um, you know that was kind of where it started was writing poems and writing kind of like these sub songs in my head and I loved like poetry classes and stuff but even though I'd never told anybody that like 
I loved those, like the poetry part of my literature class was like my favorite part. And everybody else was like, this is so stupid. Like, you know, and I was like, yeah, this is so stupid, guys. And I'm like loving it. <laughs> like, like, God, it's like my favorite class I've ever taken. And uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, but anyway, so that's kind of where the, the songwriting, you know, kind of started in college writing these poems and then by the time I started this indie rock band like me and the lead singer were like you know just kind of doing this for fun and uh and we started co-writing songs together because he knew I wrote these lyrics and I had never sang before but I had pitch I had like good pitch I knew what was in tune and I knew what wasn't so I ended up becoming the default background singer of the band because none of the other guys could sing background. So they were like, um, you got a good ear, so you should probably at least try to learn how to sing. So I learned how to sing as a background vocalist singing in that band, and I was writing the songs. But, and then we kind of took off pretty quickly. We started like selling out venues, and we ended up getting a manager, and all this stuff started happening. Like not like because of the songs but i didn't really know what i was doing our lead singer was kind of good at the business stuff so he was good at getting things going and i was for all intents and purposes just kind of riding the coattails of that whole experience because i i just graduated college i was about to go get my phd like all of this was like just bonus like i was like this is like a bonus life that i'm having i never planned for any of this so i'm just going to jump on this bonus life wagon and see where it takes me and uh and i did and it took me uh to a couple writing rooms in the very beginning and in that first writing room because i don't know why people wanted to co-write with us to like try to get songs on our record i thought that was interesting i never knew people co-wrote songs i never knew people like did that for a living i just thought like all the artists wrote their own songs and uh and then I found out that's when I, you know, the yellow brick road thing led me to this room one day and it all hit me. I was like, holy shit, the Larry Johnson writing, don't take the girl, all that stuff. Like, this is how it all happened. I just literally, I was looking at the wizard pulling the levers and I was like, oh, they're dudes like me. They're no, they're nothing special. I mean, they are very special, but they're not like, you know, they're not, they just, they're, 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 they're craftsmen and they just got good at their craft and uh and i can do that too and so i saw that quickly and that was like you know even though i loved being in that band and playing in that band like that was another song bike so to speak like that happened and i was like that's really what i want to do i love playing my guitar and everything and but like chasing down the 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 grand idea and chasing down a great song became like the new white buffalo for me like playing riffs and like mimicking david gilmore jimmy page or al Miola wasn't really it didn't even, it didn't interest me as much as it did say when i was 18 it was like all about how do i like pay that don't take the girl moment forward how do i create that like how do i create that world that someone can just like copy and paste their whole life into and so that really at that point was when everything changed and so I but you know I also I that's how I learned how to perform was in that band because we were like a high energy like really known for our live shows we got like we rehearsed we practiced our asses off I don't know any band in town that 
out rehearsed us because we really really worked hard on like perfecting our live show and um we were all really i would like to think like hard workers we had a good work ethic for a bunch of degenerate musicians <laughs> uh, but yeah that was like that was where i kind of saw discipline like the boxing discipline uh, the midwestern kind of blue collar work till you die discipline kind of come into that world and really really helped me because a lot of people where a lot of people would kind of like fall off or like run back home like i was like no bring it on i'll take more like because you'll fail more in, in this town you'll fail in one week more than most people fail in an entire life you'll get more rejection like most people like you got to get used to being told you're not good enough it's really hard to hear at first you know like no nah, like it's good but it's not good enough a lot of people will just quit after that so you just kind of got to get used to like being told no and then one day a yes just pops out and you're like whoa like out of a thousand no's i got a yes and then you're willing to fight for another like you're willing to wade through a thousand more no's just to get to that next yes and then eventually the yeses become two yeses and then three yeses and then, you know and then less no's and more yeses and uh so i, I feel like the boxing uh helped me a ton back to that like all the way to that point especially on the performance aspect because I, I used to have like really bad stage fright the guys in the band were like laughing at me and make fun of me because i was just really nervous like i get really really shook up about it and uh like what if i mess up what if and but honestly like every time i would get to that point like i would immediately go back to the boxing like i'd go back to the golden gloves finals that's like to me, like that was my boxing peak is when I was like fighting in the Indiana State Finals in the Golden Gloves because that's like in the amateur boxing outside of the Olympics. That's a that's a in you know that's it you know and that's where I saw my dad fight and all my dad's peers fight. So stepping through those ropes and fighting is like the craziest adrenaline rush you'll ever feel. It's the craziest, scariest thing ever. You know, like, you know, for a lot of people and for me, and I think it would be for just about anybody, a lot of fighters like will weigh in and show up to the fight, but then like suddenly they disappeared 15 minutes before they were supposed to walk through the ropes and the other guy wins by just default. A lot of people do that. It just happens. And um, so once I stepped through the ropes that time, like my dad, I, I got to give him a lot of credit for that because, you know, it set a bar so high from a pressure cooker standpoint that like, you know, I played at Royal Albert hall just recently. And that was like an incredibly terrifying moment. It's massively overwhelming venue and beautiful, just so gorgeous and so prestigious and such a legacy and all that. But, uh, but honestly, it's still like as nervous as I was and it came nothing, nothing compares to that golden gloves moment. So like, like I just kind of use that like as my bar, like okay if that's here like okay royal albert hall was like maybe here so like like the bar is just so high like i don't I, at, at this point i haven't encountered an experience that's rivaled it so from uh just like a, an intensity and like uh like pressure high pressure moment so every time i get nervous like i just go back to that bar and be like you did that you remember that 
you're like, so this bar, this this bar is nothing. This bar is way lower than this bar. So chill out. You're fine. <laughs> I quickly, like, talk myself off the ledge um, just by, you know, kind of referring back to the boxing and referring back, like, dude, you're not going to get your jaw broke. You're not going to get knocked out in front of these people. You're not, like, this is, like, a real, this is, it's, this is a cakewalking comparison and you love doing this. So go do it. You know, I know I loved boxing too. So it was always actually a lot of people think, I mean, I actually had so much fun boxing. Like a lot of people don't know how you could have fun getting punched in the face, but I actually did. <laughs> I love that. It kind of got you ready, but I think one of my favorite things when I was doing some digging for you, I am a massive brothers Osborne fan and you wrote my favorite brothers Osborne song ever which was such like a random thing. We saw them here in Chicago. They did an acoustic set with the radio station. I was so excited that they played Make It a Good One. And then I'm doing research before we chat with you and find out that you and those boys wrote that song together. So can you let me be a fly on the wall in that writer's room that day? I feel like those guys, you know, even though they're from Maryland, have that kind of really great work ethic um, that us Midwesterners do. So kind of chat with me about that writer's room that day. Yeah, um, that was that was quite the day. Um, yeah, it was the first song we'd ever written. Um, I just really met the boys, and they heard this song I just put out called "The Devil," and uh, and I literally it's like the first song I ever put out. It only been out for like a month or something, and I guess they heard it and they were like, "Hey, we want to write with you like as soon as you can." And I was like, "Whoa!" Like a big fan of them, and and. Uh, so I was really honored just to be there. And and so I, I go to John and Lucy's house and me and John and TJ right there in the in their basement. And and my dad, um, they didn't know about any of this. And my dad had been um he'd been having these like serious health issues. Um and he like we didn't really know what was going on there was a lot of like unanswered questions at that time and and my sister was taking him to the doctor and it was like you know we were all really nervous about what we were going to find out including him and um and this was all happening this doctor's visit was happening while i was at this right um so I, i pull up to the right and literally right as the right starts, my dad goes into the doctor, like literally at the same time. And, uh, or the doctor, like that's when the appointment started. And so I'm texting with my sister. I'm like, please keep me up to date. Like, I know I'm in a right, uh, but just, you know, please don't just tell me what's going on. Don't. And, uh, me and the boys start writing a song and, uh, I don't even remember what it was. It was some other song. Um, it was probably just some idea that I brought in that wasn't very good, and we were trying to like turn it into something. I don't know, but um, we were we were like probably halfway through writing it, but for whatever reason, it wasn't really grabbing us. Obviously, and um, but we were still like slogging away, and it was about two o'clock at this point about or one thirty, we started at 11 so a good two and a half hours has went by and uh 
we've been trying to write this song and we're just talking just kind of getting to know each other that's a part of it too when you first meet somebody excuse me and um uh, my sister i get this text from my sister um because you know it's roughly i want to say at this point it had been august yeah um maybe late july august so it's pretty hot outside but not that that matters but i get this text from my sister while we're trying to write this bad song and uh well it wasn't bad but you know like this song that didn't matter and i get this text that says make sure you come home for thanksgiving and christmas this year and i was just like which said everything i needed she didn't have to tell me what the doctor said at that point like it was like you know and i'll never forget reading that text and i was like boys um if you don't mind i'm i want to step outside for a minute get some fresh air i gotta call call my wife i just made up something and because the, the appointment was still going on, I walk outside and I call my sister and she doesn't answer because she's in the middle of this doctor's appointment. She can't really talk. So she's texting me. She just texted me that, and which, like I said, told me everything. And I went outside and, you know, I was like, what do I do? I, I should probably just call it. You know, I should probably just tell the boys like, hey, I can't write anymore. I'm I'm a. I'm about to go drive off a cliff, um, you know, and that's literally what I wanted to do. It was like the worst thing I could have read in that moment. I was so hoping it would have been something different. And, uh, and I walked back in and, you know, I'm like trying to figure out how to phrase how I'm going to say this, you know, cause they don't know me from Adam. I don't want to be disrespectful to their time, but I know at the same time, if they know what's going on they're they're going to be like, get the hell out of here. And I, but I didn't say anything immediately. So I get back and I just kind of sit down in shock and I'm trying like not to like have, like just break down in front of these two dudes that don't even know me. And, uh, you know, John goes like, boys, I don't, I don't know about this song we're writing. He's like, I like, how do y'all feel about it? And I, I didn't even know what the response, I didn't even like, I was like, what song? Like, what have you been wrong? Like, literally I was so like, literally devastated in the moment i don't even know if i respond i was like yeah i don't know either because i just didn't even know what to say and he's like man i've been working on this like i i like we just got off the bus last night and i had this chorus kind of come through my head and i don't know what it is but maybe i'll just play it real quick and he started playing the make it a good one chorus like you know make it a good one make it a long one if you're going for one make it a strong one and I'm just like sitting there like, oh my God, like this guy's literally saying what my dad would be saying if he was right here. Like, oh like this is what my dad would be telling me if, if he wasn't in this doctor's appointment, right? This is what he would be texting me. Like, no, you're in a right with Brothers Osborne. You got to write this song and you better make it a good one. And, uh, cause you know, and, and, you know that we didn't really have the full chorus flushed out but there was just enough bones there that i was like okay i think this is like a, a god thing so i didn't i didn't tell them anything about my dad because i knew it would like derail everything I, like i knew it would be like it would just shut down those creative gears
and it would turn all the attention to my pain. Not that it didn't deserve attention. It just, I, I just feel like this song was like entering the room and it was bigger than what I was going through at the moment. And obviously it's your, it's song that's affected I know, you. and now I have chills and I'm like thrilled that I asked you about it, but we got to chat about the new album. I am so excited for it. Everything that you've put out so far, I've been obsessed with. And it's been so fun because I've shared my music with your, or I've shared your music with my dad. And that has been a super special for special thing for the two of us. So to hear you kind of chat about your dad and literally how he's led you on this yellow brick road. And now your big album is going to be kind of for your dad and released on a very special day. What can we expect? What are you excited about? Oh man, I don't really know what to expect. Uh, <laughs> none of this was supposed to happen. Yeah. Uh, like, so I really like this whole damn thing is unexpected. Um, literally uh, me even just being a singer, uh, me being an artist, this whole record, I really tried to let go of so many things being a, a recovering microbiologist. I have, <laughs> I've, you know, in that world, we try to, we hold on tightly to so many things. You try to understand everything at its biochemical level, subatomic level even. And with this part of my career, um, especially post my father, like this song or this album's coming out like five years to the day that he died, uh, which was not part of the plan. I couldn't have planned that in a million years. I never planned to make a record. I never planned any of this, but, but yeah, it's, um, I, I really don't know what to expect. I'm really keeping like kind of a, um, an open mind because that's what's led me here as it was an open mind. Um, it was not saying no to things that I normally would have said no to. Like when my dad died, I, you know, I died with him like that, that person that was that person before, um, that would have said no to all these things that would have been like, no, I don't sing the songs. Someone else sings the songs. That guy died with my dad. And so, that guy would probably expect some things or expect have these expectations, but this guy doesn't because none of this is supposed to happen. And I've, uh, I like this guy a little bit more, uh, because yeah, it's just anything can happen. And, um, and, and letting go is a lot more fun than I thought it would ever be. And so, I, I really don't know what to expect, Bobby. I'm just kind of here for it. Um, and, I, and I'm ready. I've been training my whole life for it. So, My name is Bobby Dixon, and I am the founder of Backstage Bobby, a country music news outlet that highlights Chicago's country music scene. Follow me on Instagram at Backstage Bobby, and be sure to subscribe to the Country Confidential podcast to hear more insider info directly from all of your favorite country music artists. Country Confidential. The All Country News Country Confidential podcast is produced by Horseshoe Media. You can submit your artist, organization, or event to us at allcountrynews.com for a chance to be featured. If you loved this episode, please rate and review wherever you're listening. And a huge shout out to our friends Restless Road for recording our incredible theme music for this podcast.